Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I'm sure many of you heard, winter's not over yet. Last Tuesday morning, uh, how do you say it, Pucks and Tawny Phil, yeah, that groundhog emerged from the snowy burrow and predicted that we get six more weeks of winter. And I guess we really shouldn't complain, we haven't had much winter yet, but it looks like we're going to get some sub-zero temperatures for a week now. Hopefully not another six weeks though. But you know, I don't really trust uh, Punxsutawney Phil's predictions anyway. He's not a prophet, right? Um, well, regardless of if you think there's anything to that or not, I, I'm guessing that still all of us uh, would be glad for the end of winter whenever that comes this year. In our review of the uh, Old Testament book of Amos, uh, there are some predictions that the prophet Amos made which did come about. And today's message relates then to those predictions that he made. And the title of my message is The End is Coming. And the end of what, you might ask? Well, as we look in chapter 8 here, we're going to notice at least six things that Amos mentions the end of. And each of them are all to make this same point for the people of the nations of Israel and Judah. I invite you to look with me at the text there of Amos chapter 8. 8, verses 1, and, and uh, we'll read through the chapter. And Would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read? <clears throat> this is what the Lord God showed me. And behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. And he said, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, well, the end has come for my people Israel. I will not spare them any longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing on that day, declares the Lord God. The corpses will be many in every place. They will throw them out. Hush. Hear this, you who trample the needy to put an end to the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we can sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may open the wheat market and make the ephah smaller and the shekel bigger and cheat the dis with dishonest scales so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals? that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this will the land not quake, and everyone who lives in it mourn. Indeed all of it will rise up like the Nile, it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt, and it will come about on that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and your songs in, into songs of mourning. And I will put sackcloth around everyone's waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son, and the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, from the north even to the east, they will roam about to seek the word of the Lord, and they will not find it. On that day, the beautiful virgins and young men will faint from thirst. 
As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, and as the way of Bathsheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. Let us pray. Lord, this is uh, certainly a sobering word for the people of Israel. And I pray that uh, you would help us to understand the context of what took place then. And Lord, that you'd also speak to us about our own nation and our own lives personally and our relationship with you. And and what Amos' point in the whole um, book is. And that we would see that today and, and, and next week as we come to the end of of this series. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, on a cheerier note, I want to ask you, how, how many of you today are gardeners or, or like to garden? Yeah, several of you, okay? So I'm one of those that just can't stay away from gardening. I, um, even if I try, I, I just like to watch things grow, uh, and I like to eat the things that I, I get to uh, grow in my garden, and I don't really have a great garden spot in my backyard. It's kind of shaded, but but still, every year I plant some things there, and then out in the front yard, I, I put a bunch of pots right in front of my house and, and plant tomatoes and peppers and things. Um, every year, I just got to try growing some things like that, and, and, and I enjoy that. And um, I like to try different things as well, and so each year I try growing something I've never grown before. Last year, I tried celery from seed, planted in the house, and then um, actually put it out there, and, and it, I did grow celery. I actually still have one celery plant in a pot in my office here. Uh, I just like to keep something growing. You know, it, it's depressing. It's sad every year when you get to the fall and the growing season is over and, and frost comes and most of those plants die. Well, as we look at chapter 8 today in the Old Testament book of Amos, it tells us about this vision from God that Amos had, and it was a basket of summer fruit. And Amos uses that basket of summer fruit then, which then comes at the end of the growing season to remind the people about the coming end of some things. And so we look at that, and in your outline today is listed then the end of several different things. First of all, the end of summer. And that's always a sad time, isn't it? Gardens die, as I said, and summer vacations are over, and you've got to go back to school, things like that. Well, Amos mentions in verse 1 and then in verses 4 to 6 here, this vision that God gave him, and, and I'm guessing maybe it was on a fall day, he saw this basket of summer fruit, and with this basket then, God wanted the people of Israel to understand something. Not only that summer was about over for them, and their crops were ripe and ready for harvest, but also this, that the people that made up the nation of Israel were ripe for judgment. Their sins had grown and grown, and now they um, would reap the harvest or the consequences of that in the judgment of God. Quite a way to get their attention, Amos had here, wasn't it? Talk about a, a ripe basket of summer fruit and turn it to a nation of people ripe for judgment. Well, why was the nation ripe for judgment? What were their sins? We've mentioned some of them in previous weeks here as we've gone through the other chapters. Idolatry, certainly at the top of the list here. Worship of false gods. Worship the sun and the stars and pagan worship practices. And, and uh, they tried to blend various religions together into one. And, and then they also they were very self-focused. Selfishness, uh, materialism, rampant sexual immorality, treating other people like things rather than like fellow human beings. 
Those were some of the sins of the people of Israel. Not a whole lot different than what we see in our nation even today, is it? As you look at verses 4 to 6 here, we get a glimpse though, into what some of that looked like then in the fall. Here it was harvest time, and the people were going to go to worship, and uh, to, they also had special church fall festivals, you might say. But their minds really weren't on worship of God, the one that gave them the bumper crop, and thanking him for that. But instead, even as they would go to those festivals and so on, their minds were on how do we make money now this time of year with this. Um, and, and so as soon as the um, festival is over, we can get to that. And, and they were willing to do whatever they could to get rich, even if it meant taking advantage of other people and cheating them on the produce that they brought. Um, so what was going on in Israel there? Well, people that had wealth already weren't satisfied. They were always scheming of ways to make more money. And, and one of them was this then, when a customer came to buy a bushel of grain, we'll just use a smaller pail or a smaller weight, and so cheat them in that way, or, or sell the screenings off the floor, put that in the bottom of the bucket, and, and then put some good grain over the top and, and tell them you, you sold them a, a full bushel of grain. Clever, but deceitful. And yet it seemed considered fair game to do that to the lower class of people. Do whatever you can, get away with. Cheating the poor, making a little more money for yourself off of each customer. Verse 6 here reminds us some of the poor would end up so helpless that they'd have to sell themselves into slavery to pay their debts, even if they only owed the value of a sandal. What do we learn from this? What should we learn from Israel's example? Well, three things come to my mind. One, don't cheat. Don't cheat other people to make a little bit more. Keep in mind, people are always more valuable than our things. Two, focus on God when you come to church. Um, and not on the material things. This is why we're here. To remind ourselves of who's in charge. And to look to him. And third, don't get too hung up then on making the almighty dollar. So how about you and I today? Where is our focus in life? Is it on God and on his plans for our lives? Is it on how we can help other people while we're here on this earth? Or is it mostly on ourselves and what we want out of life? Well, besides the end of summer, what other ends are spoken of here in this chapter? We see it mentioned the end of a nation. <clears throat> the judgment that was coming on the nation of Israel was not just a little slap in the hand, or a little hand slap, I should say, from God, but it was a serious business. The, the cup of God's wrath had filled up for them, and it was soon going to be time to pour that out. And that would mean, then, the end of the nation of Israel as they knew it to be. Verse 2 says that the end has come for Israel. Uh, verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Kylan Dalich's commentary says, to forget a sin is to leave it unpunished. And God is saying here that he will not forget their sins. He will not leave them unpunished. No, he's going to bring judgment and wipe out their nation at the hands of other nations. I want to just remind you of some things we've gone through before here. You see there the nation of Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah the south. That's after the nations split into two. And then the nations around them 
that uh, would at times oppress them and eventually would, the Syrians from the north would come and overtake Israel. And that's what Amos is predicting. I have a couple charts here. I'm not sure. I'm going to just look at this one even though you can't read that. You can see it says at the top there are the kings of Israel. Uh, there were three kings, first of all, um, Saul, David, and Solomon. The United Kingdom lasted about 120 years and then it split. And to the left then was the nation of Israel. And one after another of their kings who were ungodly kings and led them down the wrong path. The kings of Judah, you see it lasted longer and they were mixed. There were times of revival among them. In the middle there, the, the blue stripes there are showing the prophets that God sent to each of those nations during those times. And Amos, I don't think I can show it on there either, but Amos comes right toward the end of, of the nation of Israel there to the left. God was predicting judgment was coming for the nation of Israel and the Assyrians came and wiped them out in 722 BC. And, and I'll be telling you more about that in a bit. You can turn lights back up for a bit. I'll come back to this slide one more time, but you can just darken it for now. Thank you. We're reminded of this as we think about those nations. We don't know how long our nation will last either. We've lasted far longer than many, but many nations that have fallen have crumbled from within due to corruption and ungodly leaders and people. And I believe we need to pray. Pray for the leaders of our nation that they would turn to God. Pray for leaders in churches that we would preach God's word and that people would hear. I want to remind you of some things from our own nation's history. George Washington, in his inaugural address, said this. He said, The propitious smiles of heaven cannot be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right that heaven itself has ordained. End quote. Another of our founding fathers, John Adams, said this. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Interestingly enough, though, communist dictator Joseph Stalin echoed some of that same stuff from a different angle, and he said this, and I quote, he, he said, America is like a healthy body, and its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. And he said this, if we can undermine those three areas, America will collapse from within. Well, Stalin is dead and gone. America's still here. But it appears that others are continuing with Stalin's goals. And we are certainly farther down that path from where we were when I was growing up. We do see patriotism, morality, and spiritual life waning in our country, don't we? Well, for Israel, the end of their nation would also bring some things. And we see in this text, it remind us of that. The end of happy festivals. Verse 3, instead of joyful singing in the palace at Samaria, Amos told them there's going to be wailing there. Verse 10, instead of happy festivals accompanying harvest, there would be mourning throughout Israel. And the music would change from joyful to lamentation or funeral dirges. That's what happens. Whenever judgment comes to a nation, the music changes. Singing and dancing stops, and everybody gets quiet 
and Syrians. I think in a way we saw a glimpse of that even back uh, September 11, 2001. Do you remember what happened right after that? Jay Leno and, and David Letterman, they were silent for a week at least. They just shut down their shows. There was, it, was, it wasn't a time for humor. It wasn't appropriate. The situation was too serious. But most who had no time for God then briefly were silent and quiet about some of the things, but have gone back to the same patterns in life. Well, sub- someday judgment may come again and sober us up. It might be through a natural disaster. Sometimes those happen around us. Or deadly disease. It might be at the hands of an enemy nation or a terrorist or a power grid failure or, or major economic collapse or you can name other things. Or it might be that judgment will come for some people just with the end of their own life. Verse 3 gives us a verbal picture of the awful aftermath of war there in Israel and what they could expect. There were going to be corpses everywhere, people stunned into silence. The end of human lives does that. It sobers us quickly, doesn't it? And it can happen at any time. We might wake up one morning, and that might be the last morning of our life. And so when we think about that, how about you and I? Are we ready? Each day, are you living your life ready to face your maker at any time, keeping your relationship with God current, living in daily repentance and faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? What if you found out you had a year to live? How would knowing that affect how you lived and how close you sought to walk in your relationship with God? Well, we've seen in Amos 8 here, the end of summer, the end of a nation, the end of happy festivals when the enemy army would overrun them, and the resultant end of life for some. I see another interesting one here. I don't know if you caught this one. The end of hair. Verse 10. I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. Now it doesn't really sound there like baldness is a blessing from God, does it? <laughs> Rather the opposite. And I, I know this, that uh, it sure makes a guy extra cold in the wintertime. <laughs> I sometimes wear a hat even in my house. <laughs> Dr. Munseth, uh, dean of our seminary in the past, uh, when I was there, used to tell a lot of ball jokes, and he had a pretty bare head. And he would say things like, you know, God only made so many perfect heads and the rest he gave hair. But I have never met a man who always wanted to go bald. And I'm trying to imagine now uh, my son Andrew with his head shaved down there in uh, Texas at basic training this week. You know, he used to razz me um, about my balding head, and I used to tell him back, just wait, your time's coming. But what is Amos speaking of here? Verse 10, when he talks about God bringing baldness on every head. I want you to imagine... This whole room, yeah, with people, all with bald heads. You'd have to dim the lights a bit. It'd be too much glare. In Jeremiah chapter 16, it explains a little about this, uh, and we understand more what it's talking about here. You see, shaving the head was a way to express your personal mourning at the death of somebody that you love. Like putting on sackcloth and and ashes and so on would, would be back then as well. And so here Amos is saying then that the number of dead were going to be so many 
that everyone left would shave their heads because somebody they loved had died. That's how devastating this judgment of God would be on the nation of Israel. When the Assyrians overran them, it would bring the end of hair for a while. And then one other one, the end of hearing God's word. That too was to come to the people of Israel at least for a while. And again, I show you this slide as a reminder. You see the kings of Israel, um, and the end came for them. The nation of Judah lasted another 136 years. And during those years, many prophets were sent by God to both nations. But remember how they responded, especially in Israel. They rejected the words that came from the prophets. And we read about that last week in chapter 7. We saw the, pro the, the priest of Israel tell Amos the prophet, Go back to Judah and prophesy there. We don't want to hear this depressing stuff here. Well, Amaziah, the priest, got his wish. He didn't have to listen to Amos or other prophets eventually. Within 30 years, the nation of Israel was wiped out. And for a time, there were no prophets of God that we know of speaking to Israel. Several more prophets came to Judah, but eventually there was a time where there was 400 years of prophetic silence. Now, I'm curious, how many of you remember sometime here in the congregation, I think probably before I came even, um, going through what was called walk through the Old Testament and walk through the New Testament? It was a, kind of a weekend event. A few of you did? Okay. Well, we are looking at hosting something like that here again, coming up soon. Um, so March 20th is a, is a Saturday morning, 9 to noon, that we will be hosting an event. Uh, they now call it um, OT Live, Old Testament Live. Um, but we will give you more information about that. Um, many of you know Greg Schmidtke. It's his brother, Mark, that will be our presenter for that event, and, and we're excited about that. But in that Walk Through the Old Testament event, they talk about that 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. When we think of Old Testament Israel, it comes to this then. When no one listened to God's prophets, eventually God just quit sending prophets. And the nation went through this terrible time and of a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And what a sad thing that is for a nation. Verse 12 here describes it this way. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They'll roam about to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Don't we see some of that happening even in our land today? People going around looking for something to believe in, to get passionate about, and looking everywhere but to Almighty God. And they're so passionate about saving some particular species or animal or plant life or saving the planet from one thing or another. But they're worshiping the creation and ignoring the creator. They look everywhere but to God himself. They believe and they put their trust in infallible human beings and scientists and government systems and so on while ignoring God and his word. But you're in his commentary on this, sums some things up here. I share this quote. These things are for our learning. Have we got a Bible still in our hands? Let us prize it and read it and commit its precious truths to heart and mind. It's not an inalienable possession. It may not be ours forever. Is the Bible still preached in our church? Let, it, let us love to hear the word of God. Let us be urgent to bring others within earshot of it. It's not our guaranteed privilege. The voice of the preacher could be silenced. 
The truth of God is our only fence against error, end quote. As we think of, the, of this theme here from Amos chapter 8 and the end of some things, I'm reminded that the rest of Scripture has more to say about the end. But before we look at that, I want to just review with you what we learned from Amos here. What did Amos' prophecies mean for the people of Israel? The end of summer was a reminder of the end of their nation, the end of happy festivals, the end of life for, for many of them, the end of hair for a while because everyone left alive would be mourning, the end of hearing God's word from the prophets for many years. But remember, too, though, that after that, we do have the New Testament. And after that 400 years of prophetic silence, it was broken by John the Baptist coming on the scene and pointing at one that everybody should look to. And as he pointed people to Jesus Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Amos, too, spoke of the coming of Jesus Christ as Messiah. We haven't seen much of that in the earlier chapters, but next week, chapter 9, very clearly points to Jesus. You see, Jesus came so we would not need to fear. We would not need to fear change of seasons. We wouldn't need to fear going bald. We wouldn't need to fear the end of our nation or the end of our own personal life or even the end of the world. You know, these days there are people that are warning us about coming disaster for the world, coming in one way or another. And we who are Christians should be warning them about that too, but not about an economic collapse or climate change disaster, but the final coming judgment of Almighty God. God's word tells us that the time will come when this world as we know it will end, and all people will stand before God and give an account for their life. The scriptures that we read earlier today in the New Testament both refer to that. The end of all things, or the end of the age. And also in the book of Revelation, our call to worship speaks of this here, where God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, all things start with God, and the end of all things is in his hands. And so we come to the end of this sermon here, and as we do, let's consider what, what Jesus told his disciples was God's plan for the end of the world as we know it. Matthew 24, that we referred to earlier, tells us about Jesus sitting at the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, and they asked him, well, tell us, Lord, then will these, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus went on to tell them about various signs that they would see in the world around them. False messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, famines and earthquakes, followed by tribulation and a falling away of the people of God, people hating one another, false prophets misleading many, and lawlessness increasing. Sounds a lot like our daily headlines, doesn't it? But Jesus said, the one that endures to the end he'll be saved. That is the one who trusts in Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord to the end of their life is saved. And he said then, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all of the nations, and then the end will come. You see, God's desire is that all things, even as they are getting worse around us, uh, we who are believers in Jesus Christ then would carry his message of hope to all the nations 
forgiveness of sin available in our Savior. And he says, and then the end will come when Jesus will return for his own and also when he will judge all who have rejected him and his word. As we think about all this sin, what should we do? Years ago, you used to see things like this or somebody standing on a street corner with a sandwich board over them saying the end is near. Should we all do that? Probably not. But what should our focus be in light of the end? It should not be on just material gain for this world because it's so temporary, but rather eternal gain in heaven. And living our life in a relationship with God, keeping that eternal focus in mind, and having then a daily relationship with him, and seeking then to take that message to a lost world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word through Amos. And, and uh, Lord, as we've gone through it in these last weeks, uh, we've had glimpses of things that are similar in our own lives, in our own nation, to what was going on then. Lord, forgive us personally for times that we have had all of our focus be wrapped up in uh, accumulating here in this life, or where we have been more concerned about things than about people. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in each of our hearts and lives, that, if, that, that none of us would, would live in fear of any of these things that could come upon us in this life or even the end of this life. But Lord, that we would know that because of Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness of sin for all who trust in him. And there's new life here on this earth, but also in eternity with you. And Lord, we thank you. We don't have to fear even uh, your judgment because Jesus took our, ju our judgment on himself on the cross that we could know forgiveness and eternal life. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We, we pray that you would draw the hearts of, of leaders to you. Lord, there's such gridlock in, in our Congress and such division, um, such party line perspective that seems they can't even think straight sometimes. We, we pray that there'd be an opening of their minds to understand the issues that are, they're dealing with. And, and Lord, that there'd be a turning to you and what you've said is right and wrong. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in our church and that you would use us to be a beacon of light in this community, um, pointing others to the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.